Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Amy Tenery, here with a bonus episode. Joining me today is Hillary Russ. She has been covering the legalization of sports betting uh, in the United States. Uh, welcome, Hillary. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Um, so you recently got back from the Global Gaming Expo in Las Vegas, massive gaming conference. Can you tell me a little bit about the energy there and some of the, um, you know, the, the trends going on with sports betting? Sure. Well, there was a lot of buzz in the air. Um, there were, I've never been, it was my first time, but apparently it was also the first time for some vendors. Um, there were more vendors and more attendees than uh, there have been in a long time. At least that's what I was told by people who go to that conference regularly. Uh, and a lot of people were really just there to try to figure out what actually is going on with sports betting um, because they don't know. So they had you know panels and seminars, but there really was just a lot of information seeking um, by some new attendees and people who even were you know long timers in the gaming industry. Sure. So you said there are some new attendees. What kind of companies and firms did you see there that might not have attended in years past? Sure. Well, there were some overseas companies that seemed to not know exactly what was going on, uh, but just wanted to try to get a foothold in the market and start to make a pres- make their presence known. Uh, we had sports books, uh, sports book operators. Um, th- you know, we had a lot of tech companies. Um, there were some payment companies in, t- in terms of the companies that process the payments sort of behind the scenes. So supporting services uh, uh, was really kind of interesting, uh, yeah. the mix of people. So it sounds like like sports betting was really kind of the the topic on everybody's mind, sort of the, the proverbial elephant in the room, right? Definitely, yeah. definitely. And really people, again, just trying to figure out what was going on. Sure. Well, speaking of what's going on, you actually recently reported that the uh, four major professional sports leagues in the U.S. stand to make more than $4 billion annually, according to a, a new report that came out. That sounds like great news for pro sports, right? Right. Well, it is, but it is a little more complicated and not quite as painless as that. Um, you know, on the one hand, the study really relied on the idea that sports betting would be accessible to 100 million people, roughly what it would take to have sports betting legalized in nearly all 50 or 50 states. And obviously, that's a long way away. So some of these projections could come true, but, you know, there's a lot that would have to happen for it to get to that point. Um, You know, and the other thing is it it kind of, there's always like a message behind the message when these kinds of things come out. And so what it really was, was the casinos industry, the casino industry's take on what the sports league should be looking at. And that's important because there's a sort of lingering, simmering feud between the sports leagues and the casino and gaming industry. And it's over this thing called integrity fees and over a couple of other issues as well. But it's really kind of, you know, working through the muck to figure out who's going to be able to monetize what components of sports gambling as the market develops. So everyone's kind of trying to scrounge for the biggest piece of the pie. 
Pretty much, yeah. And, uh, you know, there are a couple ways in which the leagues are, are looking to benefit. Uh, the study focused a lot on, uh, you know, some of the biggest revenue generator was kind of tangential. So it, would, it focused a lot on um, other things that the league, other ways the leagues would make money with increased participation and, and fan engagement. So that's increased ticket sales and merchandise sales and, and other components around that. Um, but they're also looking for a direct cut of the uh, the pie, and so the the sports leagues want what they in the past have called integrity fees, and are now calling a uh, royalty, uh, which is just a slice of the total amount of money bet. Which obviously the casino industry is not in favor of at all, because they're they're saying that they're the ones who took the risk. They're taking the risk. They're you know building. They've got the casino investments. They spent a lot of money on their physical. Uh, establishments and also on working on these partnerships with sports books. They're they're the ones who stand to lose money if bets don't go right. So why should the leagues take a piece? Well, yeah, I mean that's interesting. So maybe we can just back up a little bit. You you mentioned that there uh, these fees are alternately called royalty fees or, or sorry royalties or integrity fees. Um, can you tell me exactly like what what that means and and what the leagues say they're going to spend these you know integrity fees on? Is it a little bit? Um, is a little bit of the runaround, uh, or are they actually using this toward keeping things clean, keeping the gambling clean? It depends entirely on who you ask. And so the leagues uh, say that, you know, they were opposed to sports betting the whole time anyway. They fought it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And then once the writing was kind of on the wall, they started to, you know, late in the game, get on board. And their argument the entire time was that the legalization of sports betting would open up games to corruption, to game fixing, um, there's a lot of worry, and it's a legitimate worry, about uh, games becoming corrupted and even players or, or players' friends betting on a game if they happen to know someone is injured. Um, so these are legitimate fears and worries. And so they said that they would need to use the integrity fee to do, to do just that, to keep up the integrity of the sport, to hire, you know, they have investigative divisions, to hire more people for those divisions, uh, and just to do more of the work around this additional activity that they're now faced with. Um, but the casinos, again, say that that's, you know, just trying to, it's a money grab. They've used those exact words many wow. times. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic. Um, so far, the leagues haven't actually gotten any of these fees. Um, they were completely shot down in New Jersey, and they've lowered their ask from 1% of the handle, which is the total amount of money bet in any state that's considering this legislation, to a quarter of a percent. And I, they still haven't gotten that anywhere yet. Wow. So it sounds like this is going to be a, a, uh, a feud that's going to go on for a while now, especially as more states kind of get into this. It, yes, it is. It's still, an, it's still a live issue. Uh, there was a panel at the conference, actually, that was a pretty interesting point of contention between um, a representative of Major League Baseball and a representative of the, the American Gaming Association, which put on the conference and is the one that put out the study and is sort of the big casino industry representative. Uh, and they, they just got really into a tiff over the notion of integrity fees, and, and uh, the woman from the AGA said, I'm not going to call it a royalty. I'm going to call it an integrity fee. I don't care what you say. So it was pretty heated, got pretty heated up on stage, and, and a couple folks in the audience came up afterwards uh, to the mic and said, you guys really better get this show together before you go on the road because there's a, a, a discord here that is not that may not benefit the industry as a whole as it develops. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, well, just to pivot real quick um, away from the leagues, um, you know, it seems like 
this would be also be, as you mentioned, a win for casinos and gaming companies, and they certainly have the, the upper hand in terms of these uh, fees. Are you seeing a lot of enthusiasm from these companies moving into uh, sports betting, or is it a little bit... Well, yes hmm. and no. Okay. Uh, there are obviously some, some big casino interests that have gotten out ahead of the game already, and, you know, in New Jersey in particular, in Atlantic City, those casinos were really, were pretty excited about this, and most of them had some plans and had partnerships in the works and have launched those those already. But broadly, it's a strange situation, frankly, because the, on the one hand, most of the rhetoric is about how great this is going to be for casinos and how much money sports betting potentially could provide to casinos and additional revenue. But on the other hand, there are some subsets of the casino industry that are less excited about it because they think that, well, sure, there is money to be made. It's not actually a a big margin. So they would have to invest some time and energy and money on their end for what they see as not really such a huge game changer financially for them. And again, if you look at Las Vegas, where sports betting has been legal this whole time, uh, because the way that the law was written it doesn't really, it's not a huge portion of their revenues. And so that's where you get this sort of tepid sense of enthusiasm. And they, some of them seem to be kind of stepping in because they feel they can't avoid it and it's coming for them anyway. So they better pay attention to it, but they're a little less than enthusiastic about it. And some of them have embraced it a lot more readily. Um, and, you know, it just remains to be seen. And if you're a tribal casino, for instance, so, some tribal casinos, and, and tribal gaming areas may want to do this, but they are worried that if you open the compact that you have with the state, they could lose some of their exclusivity. So it's a little bit more complicated for, for them as well. Yeah, so it sounds like it's it's not only just a complex legal issue or, or business issue, but also just building the infrastructure, building lounges for people to watch sports. Absolutely. And do that gaming. So that, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so... It, you know, it sounds like the industry has a lot of work to do to figure this out. In the meantime, I'm curious, while they're off doing this, do you feel like consumers are also going to, to follow? I mean, right now, you and I could sit here. We could bet on, you know, next week's Monday Night Football. And I mean, sure, it wouldn't technically be legal, but <laughs> the feds aren't going to come after us. So why would consumers even pay the extra fees to, to place a bet when they could just kind of join their office pool or something? That is the question that a lot of people are asking. And I think, you know, there are it's important to understand there are different kinds of illegal betting. And this whole movement, it, part of it is to try to take some of the illegal betting out of the black market and bring it into the sunlight. And so if you know, I really doubt that I don't feel any sense that they're suddenly going to target office pools. I mean, why would you do that? But there is still a pretty robust industry of mostly offshore uh, websites um, where you you might win, but you might not actually get that money. And so I think if that's the case, that could be a draw uh, to some to some U.S. betters. And that's what the industry is hoping is that by legalizing this, uh, they can build um a system with more integrity, uh, where you have faith that you're going to get the money that you're owed if you place a winning bet. Um, And right now, that doesn't always happen if you're dealing, if you're betting through an an illegal offshore website. There are also still good old-fashioned bookies, not as many as there used to be. They're still getting arrested. Um, So it's interesting times. So it sounds to me like, you know, even beyond the casinos, you have these online betting platforms. And even if all the regulations are in place and things go according to plan, tech glitches can come up. There might be some issues there. 
Yeah, there are all kinds of ways in this new market that things could potentially go wrong. Um, so far, it has been pretty smooth in New Jersey, again, a state that many people are watching just because their rollout has been so complete and so fast, and they've been so aggressive. But even there, you know, you've seen some interesting mistakes happen that can potentially affect the way, again, this market develops in the rest of the country. So, for instance, uh, a very lucky fan bet made a bet uh, through FanDuel Sportsbook, and he happened to make that bet at exactly the time when there was a glitch in the odds that were being set by FanDuel because they're pretty constantly updated. And he placed that bet at exactly the right time, and he won $82,000. So initially, FanDuel did not want to pay him, pay out the winnings. It's a lot of money. Um, and they had a pretty good argument that, you know, look, the odds were never meant to be set at that at that in that way, and it was a mistake, and so obviously we, we don't need to pay, pay this money. But the state regulator stepped in, did an investigation, and FanDuel decided that they did need to pay this out, really because it sends the wrong message, I think, to a brand new market that's trying to develop in a very friendly way for fans who want to know with some certainty that if they place a bet they, and they win, that they're going to get paid what they are owed. Sure, and it sounds like even if the regulator hadn't stepped in, $82,000 is not that much money to pay to avoid a PR nightmare. Absolutely. So it sounds like it's also going to be sort of a consumer protections issue going forward on a much, much larger scale than maybe it is right now. Um, do you think that that's going to become more of a, an issue in Congress and, uh, you know, in, in you know, at the federal levels? It, it definitely could, but I don't know that that's going to gain any traction. Uh, really, because at the end of the day, this is pretty clearly, at least historically, a kind of a state's rights issue. And it's really up to each state to determine whether they want this in their state and how they want to regulate it. Sure. And I mean, do you have any kind of sense of how quickly, um, as more states adopt this, how quickly um, the revenue is going to start building up? Um, is this is this really getting a lot of momentum or is it going to be more of a slow trickle? Well, I think that depends in part on, on how the state structures its regime, right? And so in New Jersey, for instance, we've seen a pretty quick ramp up. Um, some of the revenue figures came in last week from the month of September. They were, you know, way bigger than they had been up until that time. The online sports betting had really taken off. And so you saw a really quick ramp up, um, which is great, but at some point it's going to level off, right? And in other states, it might be more of a slow trickle. So, um, but I think anything that's new if, and exciting it takes off. There's a lot of interest at first, and that's probably what we're going to see here as more states uh, roll it out. Well, Hillary, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen, associate producer, Freddie Joyner, assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.